too. Okay, so I'm just like looking back because I see that somehow I moved like a little confused by what I did here with these notes. But share it with you. Um, I believe that what we ended with is, I, I'm really a little confused. I feel like somehow the notes got out of order. Either that or it is possible. Oh, that's what I did. Haha. -ha. I moved, I moved the notes from last week forward <laughs> so that they would flow more smoothly the next time that's what I did and that's why they're not in order here when I look back it's not the same thing we talked last time about Chachma mm -hmm. and knowledge as the root of all that is Tov that is good mm -hmm. and the idea that that all comes from Hashem. That's Chonein La Adam Das, and the model of that was Shlomo Hamelech. We also saw a case with Moshe, with Shlomo Hamelech. The case with Moshe was similar. It was Moshe being the channel for Hashem's wisdom, to and and Ruach Hakodesh to come to the workers building the Mishkan, and in particular the context was making the clothing for the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol who will be serving Hashem by serving the people. And we had the same thing with Shlomo HaMelech. When he was young and he became a king, and Hashem said, tell me what you want, he didn't ask for something for himself. He understood himself, if he's a king, that means he's serving the people. Not that he is a servant of the people, he's a servant of Hashem, and that takes the form of, of, of taking care of the people. So how is he going to know how to do that without a divine level of wisdom? And Hashem gave him that and was pleased and said, therefore, I can give you everything else, money and fame and power, because I'm not giving it to you, because you're not asking anything for yourself. You're only asking for what you need in order to be able to serve me and to do the job of taking care of the people. So then it's not indulging you at all. And that, that was the model for Chachma as flowing from Hashem and as the root of everything that is, that is tov, that is good. And is the first and foremost of all of our bakashos. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm continuing on this theme, but in a different direction a little bit this time. Which is, oh, and we also spoke about, maybe this is where we ended. Yeah. Okay. We spoke about this idea, and this actually would be a good place for starting, starting today. So let's do that. All right. An idea from Rav Yisrael Salanter, which is how to cultivate habits without having them become habitual. <laughs> right? How do you develop yourself? And, and, you know, in order to grow, you have to move your 
what's called, I think, by Rav Dessler, your Bechira point, right? So the Bechira point would be, for example, there might be somebody who lives in the, you know, I don't know, some really, like, the depths of Harlem, and he's going to mug somebody and grab their wallet, and his real Bechira point is whether he chooses to shoot them or not, right? That's, like, an example. Now, for us, we're not really faced with this difficult battle as to whether or not to shoot someone, let alone whether or not to take their wallet. We're not holding there at all. So every person has their Bechira point. But that Bechira point doesn't have to be static, because as we habituate ourselves to a better behavior by choosing, either by choosing the right choice over and over again, or by setting up some kind of plan for ourselves so that we avoid getting trapped by whatever the risk, you know, the, the catalyzing situation, the trigger situation is, so then it can, it can turn out that where we were before is no longer our big choice, you know, like we live in a community with a lot of Bali Chuva, most of whom right now are not, you know, when you're from for 30 years, you're not really tempted every time you drive past a McDonald's. You don't have to decide that you're not going to eat there anymore. But at some point, there might have been a really big Bechira choice about whether you're going to walk into a McDonald's. So how does that change? That changes by making the choice either over and over again or rescheduling your life to avoid the problem. And in this way, you become habituated to something better, but then your Bechira point moves up. You're still going to have a Bechira choice, but it's going to be in a higher level. And that's a goal. Our goal is to move that Bechira point higher and higher so that we're, we're achieving more and we're doing more and we're becoming more righteous in our actions and recognizing that there's still always going to be an element then where as we become more refined, the choices become more refined. There's always going to be somewhere where there's a choice. And the thing is that when you do that, then at some point, sometimes the things that you're doing, okay, if you're avoiding a negative, it doesn't require kavana because you're not doing it so much. But when it comes to, let's say, the habit of doing an assay, so getting used to saying asher every time you use the bathroom, saying a bracha before you eat food, mm-hmm. benching after, that's a toughie, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It, it's really harder because you think of the next thing and you start to walk away and it's very easy to leave the table and not say anything, right? So that kind of habituating ourselves to do something, we can do that too. We can cultivate a habit, which is a great thing. But then how do you cultivate the habit and not have the habit become mindless? Yeah. Right? When you do something all the time and you don't even think about it, you know, you can look around and you can be down the cup of coffee and say, I wonder if I said a bracha on this. Probably, because I, I do say brachas before I eat, but my brain was not there. Right? Or did I say asher yatzer? You know, maybe I noticed at the end of the bracha that I've been moving my lips and saying words without even thinking because I have cultivated a positive habit, but now it became a habit. <laughs> and when it's a habit, that means you don't have to think about it so much. So that's good that you don't have to think about it so much because it frees up your mind to think about something higher. But it also means that now you might not be thinking about something when you should have had kavana. So Rav Yisrael Salanzer talks about the three elements as chachmas hamusar, studying musar, limud hamusar, making it into your heart, the emotional arousal of the musar, and maise hamusar, putting the musar into action. And these really correspond to chachma, bina, das, to this, these different, like having chachma, that's knowledge of something, and then thinking about it and contemplating it and letting it change you on the inside. Good morning. Let it change you on the inside 
but then finally coming back around into changing your actions because of that. So that when you have a sense that you've been inspired in some way, that it doesn't end with that. It doesn't end with the inspiration, but it actually moves into action. (laughs) And when the inspiration is turned into action, then the action is not mindless. But in order to keep it from becoming mindless, you have to go back around and do more study. You do more study. You allow that to lead you to more inspiration. Mm-hmm. The inspiration to lead you to greater action again. So there's a spiral. I like that. Yes, thank you. I didn't make it up. It's Rabbi Sal Salante. Okay. <laughs> He's very good. <laughs> He's very good when it comes to Moser and self-development. Okay. So now, and I think I did, I think I might have mentioned this last week, although I don't, not, I don't remember that I did. Which is, and I, we had something similar with the mikdash, where we said the, the word, the mention of the mikdash is between two names of Hashem. Um, let me see if I still have it open. <laughs> I do. Okay, it's a, it's a Gemara in Brachas Lamed Gimel, which is about Shemona Esri. <clears throat> and it quotes in Brachos what? Lamed Gimel 33 Lamed Gimel. like Lagvomer okay it says and th- this one we mentioned before Amar Rabbi Elazar Rabbi Elazar said look how great the base Hamikdash is it is placed between two names of Hashem it says uh, I looked it up last time. It's in Az Yashir. You will bring them and implant them on the mountain of your heritage. The base for your dwelling place that you have caused to be done. Mikdash Hashem Konenu Yadecha. Your sanctuary, Hashem, which your hands have formed. Which, what you have here is, Pa'alta Hashem, you have wrought this, Hashem. So it has the word Hashem. And then Mikdash Hashem, Konanu Yadecha. The Mikdash of God, your hands have established it. So you have the name of God, Yud, He, Vav, and He. Then you have the word Mikdash. And then you have the name of Hashem, but it's spelled Aleph, Dalid, Nun, and Yud. Oh, okay. All right. <clears throat> Sorry. That's a little. <clears throat> okay. So that's, the, that's this first case. And we quoted that and about the idea that a person, like the role of a person, like a Beis HaMikdash, that this, okay, I think we quoted it. I don't know. Maybe we didn't. Um... in there. Okay.
And then the second case that's brought over here is, and, and the blessing of that is whoever has a person with das, with deya, it's as if the Beis Hamikdash was built in his days. And deya itself, that knowledge itself is placed between two names of Hashem, is bracketed by two names of Hashem. That is in Shiras Chana, the song of Chana, which is where we learn about davening from, right? The halachos of davening. I mean, it's not the first place we ever hear of anybody speaking to God. The Tfilas Chana is really the classic case of bakosha and how you do it, right? That she, she stood quietly and her lips were moving, but nobody could hear her words other than herself. As she said, Kikel Deos Hashem. God is a Lord of Deos, of pieces of knowledge, right? Of knowledge. Kale, that's God, as uh, the expression of power, force. And Hashem, which is Hashem. And in the middle is the word Deos. Okay. And from this we see the Gemara says, how great is Das? Okay. And what does that mean? <laughs> I, we did mention the Mikdash one, right? I don't think that I just... I mean, I might have just remembered reading it, but I really thought we talked about it. All right. So Rav, Rabbi Left points something out, which I think opens up a door to some new thoughts and understandings. He says, what is this that the Gemara says, Kel Deos Hashem. Hashem is a God of knowledge. And what's the significance of Das between two names of God? So he says, Kikel Deos Hashem. Kel is Hashem in as he as we as he reveals himself to us through nature. In other words, activating powerful physical forces. Right? Elohim which is longer than the name Kale, but it has the name Kale in the beginning, right? That is generally speaking about din and nature. Kale is an even higher level of that. And Kale means power, powerful. Even, um, you know, in Torah and elsewhere, El Yodecha means the might of your hands. It doesn't have, it's not talking about God. It could, a person, like if you do something with all the, the power and force that you have in you, that would be doing it. Okay. On the other hand, Kel Deos Hashem, the name of Hashem over there is Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, which is God, the most infinite expression for Him that we've been given, meaning the least physical. He was, He is, He always will be, He's even above time. Um, we spoke about with Bereshis, with Parshas Bereshis, the Torah beginning with Bereshis, Bara Elohim, that he reveals himself to us through his actions. This does sound familiar, right? Like on Shabbos, that he, <laughs> he reveals his, I, I mean, I have the notes here. We could do them again. It's not, I don't mind. It was great, great new information. Rabbi Monk had this wonderful piece on how, and, and Rabbeinu Bachia talks about this, that Hashem reveals himself to us. We don't understand God at all. All we have is how he reveals himself to us in nature and then associates with that a name. The name being, here's how you should relate to me, having seen how I'm revealing myself to you. 
And therefore, the Torah does not begin Elohim bar Bereshis, but Bereshis bar Elohim. Hashem, for, he, he created, Hashem created. In order that, we, because the first understanding, the beginning of our grasp is Bereshis bara, not Elohim. First, we have to see because we're locked in a body. And so long as we're in the body, then we only have input into our information through our physical senses. And therefore, the only expression we're going to know of God is going to be that which can come in in some way through our senses. So that is how he reveals himself to us. And then we can learn and build on that and understand how we relate to him. Okay. Which is why Rabbeinu Bachi said the Torah begins also with a base. Not with an olive, because olive is infinity. It's one. It's unchanging. There's no more than that. It, it, it is everything, and that's something that's beyond us. Once you get to Bayes, that things have plurality. In other words, there could be change. There could be distinction. If there's two, that means they're not. You could identify one from the other. It's not the same thing. It's not A equals B. It's two different things. Shemaim va'aretz. So once you can distinguish between things, it means they're finite. It means there's room for change. All of the things that we associate with the physical world that we are able to sense. That begins with Bayes, not with Aleph. When Hashem revealed himself to us with Aleph, which is Anochi Hashem Elokecha at the beginning of Matan Torah, so like our souls flew out of our bodies. Because there is no way to absorb that information in a body. So out they went. It's not, that's not compatible. It's not compatible. We needed that revelation, but that's God's mir- miracle to us. But that's, that's not where we're holding. Okay. So what we have over here then is Kale Deos Hashem, where the word Deos is bridging between Kale and Hashem. In other words, the Das is a bridge that can take the knowledge of Kale and apply it toward Hashem. The knowledge is what allows us, this concept of Das, which is not just knowledge as in Chachma, but Das as in deep, intimate understanding, right? We're talking about Das means really connection. And it's connection that happens through understanding. So it can be a connection between two people and it can be the kind of connection where your knowledge that's academic becomes knowledge that's experiential and you feel it and you know it, you know it for sure. It's not that you believe it. It's not that you understand it. It's that this is something you, it's like inherent and, and it's wired now into your wiring and there's nothing, there's no proofs going on because you've felt that you've been there, you've seen it. That's Das and that bridges from Kale to the name of infinity, yud Hey, vav and Hey. Okay, we're going to talk about this more. Taking the knowledge that we acquire in this world and applying it to service of Hashem, to emulating Him and following Him. All right. So, it's so hard yeah. to teach this to, to children. Yes. To teach them, <laughs> to explain, right. Uh, I, well, you wouldn't. You wonder, well, yes, you, but you wonder at what point is a young woman or young lady, what, at what point, you know, I mean, she's going to be like a bas mitzvah. Uh, 
Maybe even earlier, but not much. We have earlier, to we have to build on the. I, I wouldn't. Know. I don't think earlier. Actually, I, you got to build depends, on low though. points. You can, but there's depends. ideas that you can have. Yes. You can have the idea of Bayes and the Torah beginning with Bayes and Hakadosh Baruch Hu shows us who He is in the world. We see what happens, and through this, we're meant to see Him. That, for sure. Okay. Anyway. So I just want to bring. Yeah. No. I mean, we want to teach our children. I know. It's just, right. Yeah. But at the same time. It doesn't help to try and teach that which a person is not capable of receiving. (laughs) Because not only can they not receive it, but in order to not receive it, either, I mean, if you're lucky, it just goes right over their head. (laughs) Which is at worst, which is not nothing, a very big lost opportunity. I mean, there's something else you could have taught in the same few sentences that you didn't manage to teach now because you said something different. So that's lost opportunity. And at worst, the mind rejects it because it's not ready for it. But also they could experience their own, you know, a right. child, who, so a when you child can, who's sick or something might um, experience it in a different way. Than, well, we can look you know. for the opportunities to point out the lessons, yeah. even, yeah. Where, right. even where the lesson itself we're not quite ready to express right. or to hear. For sure. So... There's um, an interesting situation. I was talking to somebody. We were talking about Shuva, and we were talking about the importance. This is something we talked about here, Rosh Hashanah time, Yom Kippur time, about um, Rav Yisrael Salanter's explanation of Osin Shuva, those who are doing Shuva. And if you look at the Rosh Hashanah davening and the Yom Kippur davening, it says Hashem... Hashem waits the whole life for a person to turn around and come back to him. Mm-hmm. So how do we understand that? Like on the one hand, it's those who do tshuva. And on the other hand, it's you have a whole lifetime to do it. And we talked about right going to La Jolla instead of to Oxnard. And you turn around, are you facing the right direction or not? When you're on the right road, then that's all that's needed. Hashem has all the time in the world to wait for you to get there. If you're facing the wrong direction... What good is all the time in the world? You just keep getting farther and farther away, right? So that, that kind of important factor. We're talking about that in context of other things and frustration. And maybe, maybe a person's just, you know, it's too late or that, you know, the person was having a hard time. And then he said to me, you know, on Sukkot, it rained the first night. And I was in the sukkah and it started to rain. And so I put on like a coat and a sweater, and I was trying to stay in the sukkah, and it started to pour, and I finally realized I have to go inside, and I felt very depressed, hmm. because, and uh, where this person was coming from, they were also already feeling bad, I was feeling very depressed, and you know, there's the medrash, and it's like Hashem is throwing it back in my face, he doesn't want my mitzvah, and I felt really bad, and later on, I don't know if it was that night, or in the morning, he suddenly thought, you know, there's something very good that came out of this, because before I wanted to sit in the sukkah, but now I really want to sit in the sukkah. Mm-hmm. That's a very important change. Mm-hmm. And he took from that a kind of like, he didn't think of it in terms of tshuva, but that what might have seemed like he was being rejected was actually to bring him to have a much greater rut zone and that that rut zone was a good thing. That he had, he had figured that out on his own. And he said, now that I'm thinking about what you're saying, which he was not able to accept. He was listening, but like, 
But then he associated it with his own experience, and he said, I guess maybe it's not just a sukkah's drasha. Maybe going through a hard time and feeling like you're rejected and feeling like you're not inspired in your mitzvot, but then the feeling of rejection brings you around to wanting so badly mm-hmm. to get back on track Beautiful. and to yeah. be facing Hashem properly, that that's what puts you on track, then maybe it wasn't a sign that God hates me any more than the rain in the sukkah was a sign of that. Maybe it was a sign that God was pushing me so that I would have that inner ratzon of my own. Not just, I want to sit in the sukkah because it's a mitzvah to sit in the sukkah and good people sit in the sukkah, but because I really want that experience of being with Hashem in the sukkah. Mm -hmm. So taking that. Now, why did I share that example? Because that's an example where because you've experienced it, it's real in a way that hearing the ideas and proofs and mefarshim doesn't make it real. It becomes real to you as your inner das. This is how you see the world and understand it. That happens from experiences. Mm-hmm. And, but they can be broadened. Meaning you can take what you experience. That's, it's a great example of the kale deos Hashem. He took the kale. He took seeing Hashem and understanding that God was interacting with him through the force of nature and his own life. And he turned it into a greater understanding than what he got just from the experience by itself. That's the power of Das. The power of Das is that you can apply it to other things as well. You can have a knowledge that is greater than the experience that you have had. But this experience is the foundation. That's what plants the Das. But then the ability to match up, to think about we call this like the metacognition, right? To think about what you have thought about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not just to think about something, but then to think about thinking about it brings us to a state that is much higher in terms of what, where that das can take us. So it's, it begins with the physical experience, but is expanded even beyond that. Okay, by the way, just taking the message from the physical experience is an achievement, right? To be able to think about what is Hashem telling me? What message can I take from this? And how will I be different because of it? Right, that is already a big achievement. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at how this goes. The Mishnah in Avos, this is the first Mishnah in the fifth parak. With ten statements, ten ma'amars, ten statements of Vayomer, the world was created, or the universe was created. Why does the Torah teach us this? That's the Mishnah. That's not a commentary to the Mishnah. That is the Mishnah. Is it not so that with one statement God could have created the universe? Could have said, not let there be light, let there be a firmament, let there be seas. Could have said, let there be a universe. And he could have in mind all the parts. And boom, there it would be. Okay, so first of all, we got to stop. And we have to realize that one of the most important lessons of this Mishnah is that question. The assumption by Chazal that you need to ask that question 
If the Torah said something a certain way, why is it saying that? What is it trying to tell me that will change me? Because you remember the Rambam had a principle that every single thing that is in the Torah, every word, every sentence, every letter, everything in the Torah is there to teach us Yerushalayim and Avas Hashem. For the Torah to spend all the time it takes to talk about 10 statements of creation, because it's not like that really reveals to us how the world got created. When you get right down to it, what is it? That Hashem spoke and the world was created. Who Amar Vayehi. He spoke and it was. I could know that from one statement and I could know that from 10 statements. Either way, the message is Hashem created the world by speaking. So to speak. (laughs) So what is it the Torah is telling me? By the way, it's not that they're questioning. The Torah is obviously telling me what really happened. So the question is even deeper. It's not just why did the Torah say this? Why did Hashem do it this way at all? Why did Hashem do it this way? What difference does it make to me? Adam HaRishon comes around at the end of creation. So me as a human being, anywhere from Adam till me, okay? Is there any difference at all if when we popped into reality as Adam, everything that had already been created had happened in nine steps or in one step? it's here or it's not here it is here okay it's here so how is it different it's a very very the 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 way of thinking that leads us to this question where what we see in the world is always so how does that change me how am i different what do i know that's different because of this that's like fundamental before you even look for an answer just to look for the question Ella, so what's the reason? And it's, it's a strange sounding reason. In order to demand, to call to account the wicked people, or here, reverse, the lawless people who destroy the world that was created with 10 statements, and to give reward, a good reward, to tzaddikim. Mm-hmm. who uphold the world that was created with 10 statements. Okay, I'm not sure. What did I get from the answer? <laughs> I could ask the same question. Ma Mishnah Lomar, why is this telling me this? Like, I, I don't know. I, I guess my first assumption has always been, and I've always been very puzzled by this Mishnah, what are Hazal telling me exactly? They're telling me that, like, Hashem wanted to give a bigger reward, so if he creates the world with 10 statements, then... It's like a bigger reward if, you, if you're Mekayim that world than a world that was created. Why? I mean, you know, like who says that 10 is more than is one if they all add up to the same creation? Yes. Isn't that like 10 <laughs> dimes is equal to one dollar? Like what's... Well, 10 is such an important number. 10 is a very important number. But, but I don't understand the message. Yeah. <laughs> I understand the message. The 10 will help me to understand the message. Mm-hmm. But here I don't understand the message. That the punishments will be bigger and the reward will be greater? And is that a goal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and who, why, why would 10 statements make that be so? Like I said, why is it not 10 times equaling a dollar? 
Meaning 10 statements, so you did it in 10 sections. 10 chapters is one book. So if you did the whole book without making any chapter dividers, it's gonna be any different? I mean, maybe it makes it easier to swallow, easier to read, you have somewhere to stop, like, it's not, but, but it doesn't change the contents, the fact that you divided it. But I think that's the point, is the, the steps, the, the sections, the, we divide things, we, we, we do, we but here the Torah did. I, I know, right. but it's like parts, parts are Right, important. so there's some significance to breaking yeah. it into the parts. Yeah. There has to be I mean, something that changes us. Okay. Right? That's the point. Because so the question is, why is the Torah telling us this? It has to be that it changes us. Mm-hmm. And it seems that it changes us because somehow it relates to whether you destroy the world or build the world. Mm-hmm. But, but how did it change by the fact that it was in 10 statements versus one statement? Okay. One thing that we can take away already from this Mishnah is that somehow it boils down to are you mekayim the world or are you tearing down the world? Me'abdin. Like you holding it up or you're tearing it down? That's kind of, this isn't one of these, you know, sometimes you have like Rosh Hashanah, there's a book of Tzadikim, a book of Risham, and a book of Benonim in the middle. This Mishnah doesn't go there. You're like, either, either you're tearing it down or you're building it up. So that's one piece that we could take away from this Mishnah. But there's something more that I want to take from that. Which is that the definitions are, are you tearing down or are you holding it up? Meaning, not how good your intentions are or how bad your intentions are not if you're selfish or if you're selfless not if you do a lot of mitzvos or you do a lot of averos but it's sort of take a look at the actions themselves are they building or are they tearing down because that's that describes actual activity right an actual influence on the world is it tearing down or is it bringing up? Which tells us, Rabbeinu Yonah says, Shelo nivra ha'olam elalasos bo hayasher be'ene Hashem ve'ha'osim kein mekaimen oso that the world's, we are, the world is created and we are created in it in order to act upon that which is good in the eyes of God. And those who act accordingly are called upholding the world. Okay. So he took a bunch of very important philosophical steps here. None of them are so shocking to us because we've heard these ideas before. right? Why is the world there at all? In order that people should be in it. <laughs> Why is the world there in order that people should be in it? In order that we should be doing God's will. That which is Hayashar Ba'ini Hashem. Right? Righteous in the eyes of God. And it, it's specifically the la'asos, the action, the doing of the deeds that are righteous in the eyes of God. That is called upholding the world. In other words, if you didn't do what is righteous in the eyes of God, 
the world doesn't have its purpose, and so it starts to fall apart. Because the only purpose, right, you, you always have to have a purpose when you create something. So if something is leading toward fulfilling its purpose, that's what happened in the generation of Noah. It had gotten to where it was not leading anywhere back toward fulfilling that which is righteous in the eyes of God. So God said, I'll tear it down. You don't, you don't keep, you know, you don't keep the old clunker in the driveway. <laughs> you got to sell it and get rid of it. Tear it down, send it to the junkyard and get another car. Okay. If it's not fulfilling its purpose, it's not going to exist. God created things for purpose. And if it does fulfill its purpose, it's being upheld. And if it doesn't fulfill its purpose, then it's not. It's being torn down. And what determines whether the world is fulfilling its purpose or not? It's whether people in the world are doing what is right in the eyes of God. The Mm -hmm. acts and the deeds and the actions. Okay. So this is Ba'asar Marmaros with ten statements. Okay. So... We have a letter like Yud. I don't just have a letter like Yud. I'm just trying to decide like where. <laughs> we don't just have a letter like Yud. Um, the Torah says, Eilatolda Shashamayva Aretz Behibaram. Right? These are the generated. This is the outcome. This is what is born of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Behibaram. And Rashi reminds us of the Medrash, which says, Behei bira'am, with a hey, they were created. And that is a reminder of, our t- of the Mesora that the, Hashem created the world with two letters, a yud and a hey, the universe with a yud and a hey. With a yud, he created the olam haba, the spiritual world, and with a hey, he created the physical world. Okay, because Shemayim and Aretz, Behei Bira'am. The heavens and the earth with a hey were created. Yeah. So the, the part that isn't heavens and earth, meaning the part that's non-physical universe, that's created with the Yud. And the Maharal says, what's a hey? A hey is basically a Dalid, and then it's got a Yud. Like the leg is the Yud. Right? It's a Dalid with a Yud. That's what it is. Not only that, so what's, so what's a letter Dalid? <laughs> the letter Dalid, the letter Dalid is four, right? It's the number four, but also the shape of a Dalid are two axes that cross, right? In other words, it's up, down, right, left. It's a description of space, bounded space, that which is finite. That's the letter Dalid. That's consistent. So when a person puts it, we learned this with tzitzis. When a person puts on tzitz, um, the, the garment is a four-cornered garment, because the four-cornered garment represents the physical limitations. And then you have the tzitzis, which spring out from within the garment and then sprout outward beyond that boundary. And they remind us that it's not just this world. There's something that extends beyond the limitations of this world. There's another world. What there's, did you say this, the dalit was? What was the name of, this, of the shape of the dalit? Did you say it was a... I said it's like two axes. Oh, two it's axes. it's up, okay. down, and right, left. Okay. It's a description of space, bounded yes. space. Okay. That's what a dalit does, and what it is bounding is a little yud. 
In other words, Yud, which is the spiritual, mm-hmm. right? So the Yud is what was used to create the spiritual world. That aspect of the spiritual, which is now bounded by this kind of finite boundary, that's the Dalid surrounding the Yud, that's the creation of this world. Okay? Wow. Yeah. Okay, so I just, I just sort of noticed something. That's crazy. There's a few little things going on here. Maharal. <laughs> Depends how your yeah, how your calligraphy is. Okay, all right. Um, okay. Now the letter Yud. Equals ten. That's strange. Why is that strange? It's strange because a yud is the closest thing to one. Not, not in gematria. Gematria one is an olive. Okay. But if you think about why the letter yud represents spirituality, it's because it's the tiniest amount of letter. It's just a dot. It's just this one little dot. There's no extra things hanging off. There's, it's just the one little mark. And yet, the gematria of that one little mark is 10. Now, 10 is a one, but it's a one in the tens place. It's not a one by itself, right? Okay. By the way, the letter hey, which is made of a dalit and a yud, well, yud dalit spells yad, which is hand, which is also like yud. So even though I turned it into a hey, in its essence, it's still yud, right? Okay. But what's a hand, a yad? It's also something that we've talked about in the past. Like yad Hashem, hoya God's hand is upon the cattle. That's what the Mitzrim realized, right? When they had the cattle disease, the dever. Okay, over there it's very interesting because it's Yad Hashem Hoya, which is a word that doesn't like normally exist, meaning it is upon, it is, it exists, but it's the letters Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey. It's really God's name of infinity. Yad, what's a hand for a person? A hand is that which extends out from the core of self, right, from ourselves to manipulate the physical world around us. So when Hashem in the Torah describes himself as using a hand, what it means is Hashem is manipulating the physical world. So a mighty hand, right? Hello, mommy. A mighty hand is a mighty expression of, of manipulation. It's a mighty manipulation of the world. Okay. Now, going back to the original concept. Oi. You okay? <laughs> Let's see it.
Okay, so we said Hashem reveals himself to us in his manipulation of the physical. He reveals himself to us in creation through acting in a physical sphere. That's how he reveals himself to us in our lifetime. That's exemplified by the idea of yad, a hand, which is the letter yud. In other words, it's that which is actually just spiritual, but the numerical value is 10. The difference between 10 and 1, 10, it is 10 yeah, fingers, know, yeah. It is 10 fingers, which are all working from the one body, right, to manipulate the world. That's what the number 10 means. 10, in some ways, is 1 in the 10th place, right? Yet, oneness is infinite and therefore not really tangible at all to us. 10 is already in the multiples. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So what happens when you get to 10? You've gone through the steps of what you are able to tangibly sense and see in the world and gotten back to the concept of one again. Now, you didn't get back to one as infinity fully because you weren't able to sense that. But you did get back to one, only now it's a 10. So 10 then represents a process of revelation of oneness on earth. That's the number 10. That, by the way, is true of the number 100 and the number 1,000 as well. They are further, what we call like unfoldings. That say, the process of revelation of God's oneness in the physical world, which is not one and which is not infinite, is described by 10. If you can get to 10, you've gotten to a place where you could reveal, where you could understand some degree of Hashem's oneness, having understood it through a process of physical revelations. Okay, so you have 10 plagues, 10 makos, right? That, that's what they were. <laughs> they were a revelation of 10 dibros at Har Sinai, right? That is what 10 is. Consist, that's always what 10 is. Okay. So with 10 statements, the world was created. Right? Can bring this back around to this Mishnah, Novos. The world was created with 10 statements and somehow the fact that the world is created with 10 statements why is the Torah telling me that? What difference does it make? Well now I could kind of begin to see that it makes a big difference because if the world is created with one statement then that's oneness again (laughs) like where did I get? Hashem is one and he's infinite and I can't get, grasp it. But if the world is created with 10 statements, then what I'm hearing is that the creation of the world itself is a process of the revelation of Hashem into physical space, which is exactly what the world is about. That's what it's for. The world exists only to reveal Hashem. That's why the word olam can mean hidden. 
And yet we're supposed to look at that, right? The Rambam says, look at the world and the universe and you'll come to love Hashem. You can come to Yerushalayim and Abbas Hashem. Because it's a revelation. It's a process, right? So you got to look. Okay. Sorry. So this revelation in the world of Hashem's greatness, which is described as a process of 10, where does that revelation really take place? It takes place in everything. Everything in the universe is singing a shira, right? It's something that if you look at it, you can see God revealed in it. But, you know, the Greeks used to say, if a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound? No. Right. So the answer is, like, yeah, it does. <laughs> okay, fine. You just Done with that. that. You okay. just didn't hear it. Right. You didn't hear it. it. Okay. <laughs> but revelation, what is the significance of revelation if it's not seen? To make yourself known to somebody, if you share something vulnerable about yourself, something that maybe you're not proud of or something that you worry about to somebody else, you're on the phone, right? And then it turns out you realize at some point, wait, I've been talking and I haven't heard anything and you realize the phone cut off. Okay. So there might be something different about yourself because you managed to say it. <laughs> but have you actually shared that with the other person? The answer is no. You thought you were and you weren't. Okay? Not only because they don't know it, but because the change in you that comes from knowing that somebody knows doesn't happen. Okay. Now Hashem doesn't change because he's infinite. So that side of the equation is not part of this equation. So the revelation then is only the effect that it has on somebody who sees the revelation, who understands what has been revealed to them, who has been changed by it. So when Hashem gave the Torah, right, he brought it to all the nations, and they said, well, we can't change. We're just like that. So God says, okay, I'm not going to reveal myself to you. (laughs) Because what's the point of that? There's no point. Mm -hmm. But if Hashem reveals himself to the Jewish people, we say, we'll change. (laughs) We'll change. Naaset, we'll do it. In other words, our actions will be different. You will see in our actions that something changed because of what we know. The das, das which is actually experiencing it, not just knowing it in a hypothetical or academic way. Because we have experienced something, it has changed us, it has inspired us, it has lit a fire inside, and you will know it because na'aseh, you will see our actions. Our actions will be different. That's what Rabbeinu Yonah said. The, the world is created in 10 stages, in 10 statements. And it was created in order that we should do Hashem's will. When we do Hashem's will, it's holding up the world. 
What you see when you see a person doing something because it is right in the eyes of God is a revelation that there's a Hashem who created the world. That's what you see in the action. Rav Hirsch has a wonderful, uh, in his explanation on Pirkei Avos here, he says, if the universe had been completed in one single divine utterance and then written down like that in the Torah, because the Torah's telling you what happened, then everything, the whole and all the parts thereof, would have appeared to be immediately caused by God's command of creation only, and the position of man in the scheme of things would have been fixed on one plane with everything else. There wouldn't be, we would look at that and say, well, Hashem did it, and there is nothing, there's no other job here. By the fact that Hashem creates the world in 10 steps, Right, we have that um, Ramban where Hashem looked at the light and saw that it was good. And it says, and Ramban teaches that Hashem created things and then step by step, he brings them to the state in which he wishes them to be. So uh, just to give an example, he creates chickens, but they're born as, isn't it, as eggs and then chicks and then they grow at some point it's a whole grown-up hen or something you say oh there's the hen right it, it got to the place of its full development okay so everything in creation was created at the beginning and in stages Hashem brings it to its full development the tenth thing created was man the tenth statement of creation is the creation of people. But in the creation of people, we're still working on it, on getting to the full development of what we're created to be. Not that we're exactly making progress, per se, <laughs> because we're not on the level that the earlier people were. But there's a process here. There's a process, and it isn't finished, and there's an important element, which is... Man is the final work of creation, the goal and summit of the whole. One thing we learn from the fact that the world is created in 10 statements and we're the 10th is that there is an obligation upon us then to develop, to become the capstone so that when we achieve the wholeness, the whole creation gets finished. It's obligating. If man fulfills his great task, then all the world of creation will attain through him the prerequisite for its survival. And therefore, the care that man extends to even the most minute faction of the world entity in line with task and duty, he makes a contribution not only to his own survival, but that of the whole. Even a very small action, if there's a very big thought in back of it, meaning the thought is, this is God's will, then even if the action is tiny, the action is an act that builds and supports the whole world. It's not the size of the action that determines how important it is. It's the depth of the commitment and revelation of Hashem as the creator through the action that matters. 
Okay, so where does this bring us to? First of all, Refresh says elsewhere that when we praise Hashem and arouse in ourselves inspiration and emotion, it's only fulfilled if it ends with a change in our actions. It's like what we said with the, the cycle of every soul salanter. So on the one hand, you want it to start lofty. And on the other hand, it always has to end in an action. But it's not the size of the action that's the main thing. That's an idea. It's attributed to the Ramban by the Svasemis. But so far, the rabbis that I know who have looked for the Ramban have not found it. So supposedly it's... No, I don't, I don't know exactly where it is, obviously. Wow. But the Svasemis says it's a Ramban in a separate parish on the Ten Commandments, which is based on... I was going to say Apostle can share Hashirim, but it comes up twice in one form and one, a third time in another form in Hashirim. If you have really awoken and aroused a feeling of love until it is techpats, made into a chayfetz, a tangible thing. Meaning, the, the, the inspiration is only really meaningful when it turns into something active, when you turn it into an action. Okay, that is the process of ten from one, an unfolding of ten from one into action, into yad, into yud, right? Okay. Now, there are some very, I was saying that the 10th, oh, it's late. <laughs> I have to, I have yeah. to. Okay. Yeah, okay, Sorry. we'll see you. The 10th statement of creation is the creation of man. So this is where I was going to look at these Rashis. Because what we said is that the Gemara came and said, Ki kel deos Hashem, Right? The bracha is ata chonein lo adam daas baruch ata Hashem chonein hadaas, and we said I think last week deya bina haskel right that was that Yisrael Salanter, that Hashem gives us deya and then bina like builds on that the emotional and the connecting to it and the haskel when it becomes practical knowledge that you actually use it, and then we come back to chonein hadaas das as this like fundamental thing. Kael Deos Hashem, and Dea bridges from Kael, Hashem's revelation in the physical, to Hashem, knowledge of God as God the infinite. It's the Das that brings us there, the knowledge. And this is something unique to people. Atachonin la Adam Das. You gave this to Adam. The animals don't have it. So, with this idea in mind that this is it's the human level ability to think and to think about things and to think about the connections between things and the importance of these things and that that's the root of what is good everything that is tov because tov is when something achieves its full development so for a man to achieve a, a man meaning a human to achieve full development would be to achieve full development of das using das which would be the full development of the whole world, because that's the final step. 
all of a sudden, it throws into a new light all those bits about the creation of man in the first place. And how Das is this bridge from Kale to Hashem, from expression of God in the physical world to recognizing God, the infinite creator of all. Kale Deos Hashem. Why is it the first bracha? Because number one, it's the first, it's the major quality of a human, yes. But it's also the major task. It's the major tool and it's the major task. And I think we could go so far as to say, and I think that we're going to see this in the Rashis, that if that 10, the world being created in 10 stages, is a process, so it's always incomplete until it's at the end of the process. And it's a process of revelation of Hashem in the universe, which is only complete when it is revealed in human beings and their actions. So in this first bracha that is addressing bakasha, request, asking Hashem for things, meaning, the world is not complete. It needs to be fulfilled. Hashem, please heal it. Please fix it. Please perfect it. So then we're coming like Shlomo HaMelech, saying, what does the world need? What, is, what do other people need, right? Not just me personally. But recognizing that it's with the Das that we play our role in that happening in bridging that in the universe, not only in our own minds, we become that expression of Hashem revealing himself into the world. So there's a whole bunch of Rashis that really say this in the creation of man. So first you have Bracious Aleph Chavav. Vayomer Elohim, God said, Nase odom betzalmenu kidmusenu. Let us make man in our image, in our form, and he shall rule over the world. And over here, I'm not going to read the whole Rashi, but he points out over here, it's a very, it's not such an easy Rashi. He says, just like there are malachim in the higher world, there needs to be something created in the lower world that will make me king. Just like there's malachim in the higher world, there needs to be something in the lower world And that's going to be the human being, that when you look at him, you will know that I am king. And furthermore, how does that come out? Naase Adam, let us make man. We talked about this Parshish Bracious. Really, Hashem did not need we. Nobody's helping him make man. It says afterward, Vayivar Elohim, Hashem did it, not with anyone else. Okay. But... The Torah, nonetheless, feels that at the creation of man, it is critical that we understand that when someone is greater, they receive that hamlacha, hamlacha of saying, I am doing your will because I wish you would be, you are my leader, and that's my, I choose that. Right? That comes from the one who's smaller. And therefore, Hashem 
created man by saying, let us make man, that it has to be that it's a joint effort. This is already pointing us again. There's a joint effort, meaning also us. We're part of the effort of making man is the man himself choosing into it, making choices and actions that make him. Right? If we said that it's through our full development into what we can become that we're created, what's unusual about man is that he has a share in it. We, we actually have a share in being created fully because we could destroy. We could go in the opposite direction by our choices. But even farther, bitsalmenu kidmusenu. What does it mean in, in, in our image? Or kidmusenu meaning similar to us. God says, lahavinu lahaskil. Lahavin to understand, ulahaskil. And to make practical knowledge. It's everything but the deya. Right? Deya bina haskil, lahavinu lahaskil. That's something, I don't know exactly if malachim, what kind of das they have. But what's critical here is, lahavinu lahaskil. God says, let's make a person, lahavinu lahaskil to turn it into something tangible in the world. This is a whole new aspect to this whole series of Rashi's that I had never noticed before. And it continues. God created him in his image. It's so interesting. (laughs) This is like, okay. In this particular Chomesh that I'm using, the Aleph in Adam, in the Rashi, is upside down. It happens a lot in old hand typeset books. Because Aleph, when it's upside down, doesn't look strikingly different from Aleph right side up. Okay? It's just the truth. So it's very hard to catch it. But it tells you something, because the letter Aleph, the shape of the letter Aleph, is this bar that connects an upper world and a lower world. And when you turn it over, the reflection, it's meant to be similar. It's meant to be that whichever way you look at it, you're seeing the same image, whether it's above or below. So you have Yerushalayim Shalmala, Yerushalayim Shalmata, right? It's just an interesting place that this mistake takes, that this little typographic error <laughs> happened because it's where we're talking about the creation of man. And as Hashem says, there's going to be this on high, there has to be a matching set down below, otherwise there'll be kinna, there'll be an imbalance in the world. And it's funny when you see it flipped over, and why did they not recatch this the first time? They didn't catch it, because it looks pretty similar, whichever way you do, and that's the Aleph, okay? And it's the Aleph of the Adam, because the Adam is going to be that image down below of the, okay, never mind. Anyway, it is pretty funny. Where did you say this, where did you say this is your reading from? Now, this next Rashi is going to be Perak Aleph, Chavzayin, Embracious. And the one before was in Chavav. God created man in Selim, in his form. So what does that mean? Hashem doesn't have a form. Shakal nivra b'maimar. Everything was created b'ma'amar, with speech. That was perkeavos, right? That ten ma'amaros was speech. Vehu, but man... Okay, there was speech over here. It said, Vayomer Elohim Adam Kidmusenu. But that it doesn't say Vayichin. It says, Vayivra Elohim Adam Bria is when something spirit is like the creation of matter, something from nothing. 
There's nothing there, and now there's a physical reality there. So there's another level of the creation of people that isn't so with all the other types of creation. Hakol nivra b'maymar, everything was created with the word of God. Vehu nivra bayodayim, man is created by hand. What a wild statement. I don't know how this Rashi ever escaped me before. Hello. Shenemar, as it says in Tehillim, Vatoshes olai kapecha, and you placed your hand upon me, your palm of your hand upon me. So we had this idea, this Farno had this beautiful explanation when, when Moshe Rabbeinu said, right, that I want, show me your glory, Hashem, and Hashem said, you can't see it and live, but I will place my hand upon you. And that's a shelter. It prevents him from seeing the higher levels, but it also prevents him from being damaged by them, by that which is beyond him. You placed your hand upon me. That's how man was formed. Meaning something, there was the statement of creation, and then there was a creative act, so to speak, by hand. Now, that's what our topic has been, that it's not enough that it be in the mind. Even that it be spoken to arouse the heart, it's got to come out in the hands. And that's how we were created. It's a very, very striking model over here. You know, not only that, but man is created through speech. And then we get fulfilled through the activation of speech. The world is created through speech, Basara Mamaros, culminating in the creation of man with Deya and Dibor, knowledge and speech. And yet, what we see is that there has to be this element of not just, it can't stop quite there. There has to be action. Man was created by hand. Nase Bechosam. Man was made... A chosam, like a chotemet, is a stamp. What's a stamp? Like, especially if you imagine the clay ones, right? Like they used to use, like, I'm, even not so long ago, people would do, like, wax, and then you press the stamp in, and, okay. When you make something by using a stamp, the image, the shape of that which you have formed is indicative of the shape of that which formed it. So man was created, when it says in the image of God, there's an imprint or a stamp so that what you see when you look at a person is indicative of the one who formed him, which is Hashem. Kimatbeya, like a coin, ha'asuya ayadei roshem, that is made by embossing or molding, print, imprinting, not, not just printing like on the surface, but actually forming it by shaping it and making an impression upon it. We would call that stempel, stamping. Whoa. Okay. So. Sorry. Find the notes. All right. Kikel Deos Hashem. Hashem. You get from Kale to Hashem through Dea. 
I think it's also striking that when it comes to the Mikdash, it went from the name Hashem Yud Hey Vav Hey, which is the infinite creator, to Aleph Dalad Nun and Yud, my master, which is very much down in the tangible. So the Beis Hamikdash serves this purpose of revealing God into the world from top down, so to speak. So it goes from the infinite and joins it together to the, the material experience. And when we talk about the Deya in terms of a person being created with Deya, then we, have, we go from the Kale to the Hashem, to the infinite. This, it's always back to this two-directional aspect. And I think that this then is Chonin Hadas as the first bracha expressing the whole approach to the body of Shemona Esrei, which is Bakasha, which is the recognition that the universe is not completed yet. And it is through our actions and through our, through our Deya and how that comes out in Dibor, which is the Shemona Esrei, and then changes our actions or is implemented in the physical world. It's all encompassed in those bakashos. It's the das turned into dibor, expressing the, the haskia, the, the active, practical application of it as mevarech hashanim or goel yisrael or marbel sloach or rofe cholim. then we really are unifying with Hashem so that in the moment of Shemona Esrei, when you look at a person, you, you hopefully have the potential to see that stamp of the one who created it. Because what you see is a world being created with words. Where the, right? Hashem creates with words. That means he moves it from his will into what is through the stage of words, and that's really what we're doing. It's part of that creation, the world being created in 10 statements, and yet the 10th statement hasn't reached the tov yet because people haven't reached the tov. When you do, it'll be tov me'od. <laughs> it'll be even better. But also that indication in the Rashi that you have the 10 statements and man is created and then there's another level of creation which is by hand, with hands, through, inf- through manipulation of the physical world because that's what hands are. So that was the topic for today. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. So the message is that not only the, the power where we're headed with our davening itself but also how does it change us? It, it all comes down to that. So how am I different because of that? In what way would you see that reflected in my actions and my choices? That knowledge. And that's Chonin Hadas. That's Deya Bina Haskel. And coming back down to Chonin Hadas, Hashem gives us the knowledge. And, and then now we got to do that, that creative act.